Fantastic. Morning, everyone. Morning. It is great to see you. Thank you, Joe. You're a star. I'm going to stay down here on the floor if that's all right. It's great to be with you, church. Really fantastic to be with you. And um, yeah, it's great to be part of a family of churches like we are in New Ground. And um, it's been my joy to um, just get to know your great eldership team here over the recent weeks and months and, and just beginning to serve you as a member of the core team of New Grounds and really that is my role to serve this church. Um, I, I'm gladly doing that because I believe God has great things for this church and God has a great calling on this church in Crawley, this great town and I um, feel very, very excited about all that God is going to do here through you in Crawley and so it's just a real joy to be here, real joy um, to serve you guys find any way I can to encourage you in what you're doing together. So thank you. It's great to be with you. And I just want to get into the Bible as quickly as I can, if that's all right. So John chapter 19, where we're going to be based today. And I'm going to be part of this Easter series, going to read some extraordinary words today. If, um, If you're new to the Christian faith, or you're new to church, you may not know how the Bible's put together. It's a a collection of books, 66 books, and um, four of them tell us about the life of Jesus. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John was a friend of Jesus. He, He was an eyewitness of the things that we're reading about. So when we come to read these verses, it's really important to recognize we're not reading fiction. We're not reading mythology. We're reading an account of a man who lived with Jesus and walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and saw these things happen before his very eyes. It's an eyewitness account of what happens. And what we're going to read today, well, one commentator described what we're about to read as the supreme moment of all history. Okay, an eyewitness account of the supreme moment of all of history. And um, you know, there's something very powerful about the public reading of Scripture. Um, Paul writes to his friend Timothy and says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And so I'm going to read this, but I'm going to take my time reading these verses. For some of you, these verses are very, very familiar. I want to encourage you just to look afresh at what's going on here. Uh, to enter into the story, to imagine, as we can so clearly, this is Jesus' friend and disciple, John, writing an account for us of of what he saw, of what happened. And I want to take time and get into the drama of it, because I agree with the commentator. We're reading here about the supreme moment of all human history. And I'm going to be reading from... Verse 28. You ready, church? I like feedback, by the way, when I'm preaching. So down the road in mid-Sussex, you know what I mean? It's very conservative, and I try and encourage them. I'm thinking up here in the north of Crawley. You're going to be a bit more vocal, am I right? Okay. Here we go. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said... I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plants and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It 
is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. And the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found he was already dead so they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he tells the truth. And he testifies so that you also may believe. And these things happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. And later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders, and with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. And this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. Amazing thing, isn't it? The Bible starts in a garden that God created. And here Jesus is buried and rises again in new creation in a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Just extraordinary words. Let's just pray. Father, help us today. Spirit of the living God, open our hearts, renew our minds that we may know you more, Lord. For some of us, this story is very familiar. I pray we would hear it and understand it with fresh revelation today. Not preaching the Bible for information's sake. Lord, we come because we believe that preaching brings transformation. Changes our hearts, renews our minds. Lord, I pray, change our hearts, renew our minds for your glory. Amen. Now, the certain passages of the Bible, when you come to as a preacher, is kind of like standing at the base of Everest, looking up at this mountain, thinking, where on earth do I start? And this passage is a bit like that, because there is so much in here that I could focus on today. There are so many different themes that I could preach upon. For example, I could focus on the brutality of crucifixion. 
the absolute horror and brutality of this form of execution that the Romans devised to strike fear in the people that they oppressed. That anyone who was out of line with the Roman Empire, just look at the crosses that lined the roads of Galilee. It's said that as Jesus grew up around that time, it's documented in history that 2,000 Jewish revolutionaries were crucified by the Romans and their bodies were hung on crosses on the roads of Galilee. So it's very likely Jesus as a boy walked along roads looking up at men hanging on crosses. He would have known the inhumane nature of crucifixion. Barbaric. Completely about the Roman Empire asserting their control and fear. Can't even begin to imagine how brutal it was. They um, reread in the story how they broke the legs because um, if you broke the legs of those hanging on the cross, they could no longer push themselves up to breathe and so it would just speed up the process of death by asphyxiation. Just brutal. It says they came to Jesus, found he was already dead, so they put a spear in his side and blood and water flowed, which is a detail. But in that, even John is being deliberate because what image does he use for the Holy Spirit throughout the book of John? He talks about water. So in that moment, he talks about blood flowing for the forgiveness of sins and water flowing because it has mean a new age of the Spirit was beginning through his death on a cross. I mean, the detail in it is just unbelievable. The brutality of it. It says in Hebrews that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. It's a phenomenal little line actually. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? It was us, his church. He went through the brutality of it for us. The brutality of this horrific form of death. When he's in the garden, he prayed, not my will, but yours. He knew what was coming. He knew it was ahead of him, but he endured it. You know, we need to fully grasp the cost of the cross. This isn't my main point, by the way. It's something that I could have unpacked today. The cost of the cross. If you ever want to know how much God loves you, you look at the cross of Jesus Christ. If you never received another answer to any of your prayers, if you never received another prophetic word, if you never enjoy the presence of God ever again, still the living God would be worthy of all your surrender, adoration and praise and worship because of the cross, because of this moment in history. The cost of it was so huge. It's like the famous old hymn says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. See from his head his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Listen to this, with a whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You don't need another prophetic word to know that God loves you. You just need to look at the cross. Yeah, he was beaten, he was beaten, he had the crown of thorns, he was mocked, he was spat on, he was the son of God, the author. 
No, no, it's absolutely. The author of life surrenders to death. Yeah, just so often the familiarity of Easter, we enter into it. I want, I want us to know, as he did this on our behalf, the joy set before him for us. The brutality of it. Love so amazing, so divine, displayed through his body. Demands my soul, my life, my all. Now listen, we could spend all day talking about this, all night. There's some other things I want to draw out of this passage. We could talk about the blindness of the Jewish leaders. I don't know if you saw this. You know that Jesus can be right in front of you and you completely miss him. It says in verse 31 that it was the day of preparation. The next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. This is staggering. The Jewish leaders have just crucified the Son of God. And now on their Sabbath, they think it distasteful to have corpses on the cross because how would they worship their God on the Sabbath if there were these awful corpses on the cross? And so they said, we don't want bodies on the cross. It's our Passover celebration. Please can we get rid of these corpses so we can carry on with worshipping our God, not realising it was their God that hung on the cross. How distasteful it would be to have bodies hung on the Sabbath, kind of missing the point of how distasteful crucifixion was and that they've just called for Jesus to be killed. The blindness is, is unbelievable. They want to be able to worship their gods without the concern of bodies on the cross. Their God, the image of the invisible God, Jesus, is hanging on the cross right in front of them. I mean, it's devastating, isn't it? Last week, the passage that you looked at, there's this moment where Pilate says to the Jewish leaders, what do, we want to, what do you want me to do with your king? Talking about Jesus. What do they say? We have no king but Caesar. So the Jewish leaders who knew their scriptures, knew that God said, I will send you a king who will rule on David's throne of righteousness and justice. And that person is standing in front of them. And Pilate, a Roman leader, says, what do you want me to do with your king? And what do they do? They pledge allegiance to the Roman king when their own king is standing in front of them. And in doing so, I mean, their cause for crucifying Jesus was blasphemy of the law. What were they doing in that moment? They were blaspheming the first commandment, you shall have no other God other than me, by declaring that Caesar was their king. Jesus is right in front of them and they completely miss it. So blind to it. It's just phenomenal that even in this they don't see the suffering servant of their scriptures of Isaiah that they knew so well. The ruler that would come from Bethlehem that their own scriptures prophesied. You know, you can be right in front of Jesus and miss him. You know, I mean, people say, well, where's the evidence for your belief in God, Jim? And I say, well, there's, you know, I mean, Jesus, I believe, is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at the life of Jesus. There's no doubt he's the most significant historical figure. There's this book that has been translated into more languages than any other book in human history and more copies have made and more lives transformed. There's 2,000 years of church history. There's 2 billion believers around the globe. There's quite a lot of evidence to actually hold on to that I believe the things that I follow are true and Jesus can be right in front of people and they can completely miss him. Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. Can I say to you, you're not here by accident today. You're not here by chance, you're here because a living God is trying to get hold of your attention to say, I'm here, I'm right in front of you, I'm right in front of you. This is an eyewitness account, 
that I'm reading here of what happened 2,000 years ago. Don't miss Jesus when he's right in front of you. You're here for a purpose. It was a special Sabbath because um, it was the Passover festival. The Passover festival was what? It was when the Jewish people remembered how God rescued them from Egypt hundreds of years before. How, how did God rescue them from Egypt? Well, a lamb had to be slain. A perfect lamb without blemish. You couldn't have any broken bones. And a lamb was slain, and that blood of the lamb was put on the doorposts of your house. And as God's judgment came on Egypt one night, if you were an Israelite and you had sacrificed a perfect lamb and had blood over your house, then you would escape the judgment of God. And that's what the Jewish people were celebrating this weekend, and they wanted to get rid of the bodies, not recognizing that here was the new Passover lamb. The perfect lamb of God, as John the Baptist described, hung on a cross, bloodshed. Anyone that comes under that lamb's covering will escape the judgment of God. And that's what's going on. And it's like, can we get on with Passover, please? And God is saying, here's the new Passover. Here's the new lamb. Oh, no, can we get rid of that body, please? It's distasteful. It'll be right in front of you and you can completely miss it. Jesus is a new Passover lamb. You don't need to celebrate Passover anymore once and for all for the sins of the world. The lamb of God has been slain. All these things in the passage, but there's three words I want to focus on today. Just three words. I know that is all by way of introduction, just so you know. Three words, verse 30. These are the three words. It is finished. They're the three words we're going to look at this morning. Three words that have changed everything for everyone forever. Three words, a declaration of Jesus on the cross that changes everything for us today. There's important detail in verse 30. Let's just read it together again, verse 30. It says, when he had received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Did you notice it says he gave up his spirit? Death did not conquer Jesus. He's willfully submitted to death. He gave up his spirit. He was in complete control. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. The Jewish leaders didn't kill Jesus. Jesus willingly surrendered his spirit. Earlier on in John's Gospel, in John chapter 10, Jesus says this, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. Jesus said that in John 10, verse 17 to 18. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And then on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He willingly surrendered to death. Death did not conquer him. Even in this moment, Jesus was completely in control. Willingly surrendering himself to human leaders. Willingly surrender himself to false accusation. Willingly surrender himself to death. Death did not conquer him. He surrendered to it. He gave up his spirit. And in this moment, he has been completely and fully obedient to his father. Even in this moment, throughout his life, he said, I've only come to do the will of the father. And in this moment, 
He's been completely obedient even to death. Death on a cross. It's just remarkable, isn't it? When we consider who Jesus is, the author of life, surrendering to death, it is finished. Now, what does it is finished mean? There's four things I think it's telling us about this morning that I want to unpack that are all just incredible. The first thing is this. It is finished means that Jesus had fulfilled what he had come to do. It is finished. I've done what I came to do. He lived in utter obedience to the Father. He came for one reason and one reason only, to lay down his life for us. So Mark 10, 25, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew clearly what his life was about. I am here to die. I'm here to lay down my life as a ransom for many, for me and you in this room today. For everyone that will be meeting in churches across our country and across the world, that's why he came. He came to die. He fulfilled what he came to do. He lived with just this incredible commitment to do the will of his Father, to obedience in the garden. Not my will, Father, but yours. I'll do it for you. I'm surrendering my life to you. And as he declares, it is finished. And actually, the translation really means it is accomplished. It is accomplished. He's saying, I've done what I came to do. I came to die and give my life. This is the fulfillment of what I came to do. It's just a most extraordinary determination to partner with the Father to bring rescue to earth. So John 3.16, we know the verse very well, many of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So God initiated a rescue plan. God gave his son. And here we have the son willingly being obedient to the father to fulfill this rescue plan for all of humanity. And on the cross he says, it's done. It's finished. Once and for all. So, you know, this is why we talk about our faith as being cross-centered. Because if we move away from this, this is the center, this is the heart, this is the core, this is everything. He's done it for us. No more legalism, no more law, no more striving. It's done. He's accomplished it on our behalf. He laid his life down in perfect obedience to the Father. It's accomplished. Again, if you ever question whether... God loves you. Just look at this moment. God initiated a plan. He gave up his son. The father gave his son. The son obediently followed the father even until death on a cross where he gave up his spirit. And he says, it's done, father. I think it's finished. Whether it's a declaration to himself, whether it's a declaration to the watching crowd, whether it's a declaration to the heavenly realms, whether it's a declaration even to his Father, maybe all of those things at the same time, Jesus is saying, I've done what I came to do. It's accomplished. It's finished. Now, and in this moment, Jesus sets us a glorious example of what it means to be a follower of God. The fo- Jesus actually helps us. He says, if you want to follow me, you need to lay down your life. You need to become a servant. You need to lay down your life for others. The Christian path of discipleship is about humility and servanthood and submission and laying down your life for the sake of others. There is no other path of Christian discipleship. 
Christian life is not about living our life and saying, God, please can you bless me in what I'm doing? It's about saying, God, my sole purpose is to do your will. To lay my life down for you. In servanthood and humility and submission. Not seeking power, but laying our life down for the sake of others. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So in this cry, it's finished. It kind of gathers up Jesus' entire ministry. He'd fulfilled what he'd come to do. Secondly, another thing that it means, it's finished. It means that the old requirements of the law were no longer necessary. Hallelujah. He was saying, I fulfilled the law. It's finished. It's accomplished. It's done. So we know and we read through the Old Testament and the Bible that to access God, there needed to be sacrifices were made, blood needed to be shed. You bring a perfect lamb, you bring a bull, you bring an animal, you come to the temple, there's a most holy place, the presence of God. You weren't allowed to go near there. Only the chief high priest once a year could go there and it was separated by a curtain so you couldn't access the presence of God. And actually you're aware of your guilt and every year you had to bring these sacrifices there's all these laws that you had to fulfill to get right with God. You had to ceremonial cleansing laws, washing and sacrifices and all this stuff. And in three words, Jesus says, all of that, it is finished. Praise God. It is accomplished. Once and for all, a lamb has been slain. And this lamb will pay for all sin, for all people, for all time. Praise God. That's why we're not sacrificing a lamb up here this morning. We don't have to. There has been a lamb who has been slain on our behalf. His name is Jesus. Amazing thing, Matthew, Mark and Luke in their accounts of Jesus' life says that as Jesus breathed his last, what happened? There's a temple in the curtain that separated ordinary people from the presence of God and it tore from top to bottom. Why? Because it is finished. The old way of relating to God is over. Now we come to God in faith through Jesus Christ. Praise God that we're no longer under law. But we're under the Spirit and in the Spirit. We have a freedom. We've enjoyed it this morning, haven't we? We have a freedom to enjoy God. We have a freedom this morning. I didn't notice any big ceremonial washing jars at the door on your way in this morning. They're down the end, are they? Okay. (laughs) We come with freedom into the presence of God as his church because it's finished. It's finished. It's accomplished. It says in Hebrews that we have a new and living way through the curtain. Let me find the verse. Hebrews 10, 19, 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain. Well, what's that curtain? That is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, who's the high priest? His name is Jesus. So in this story, Jesus is both the priest and the lamb. <laughs> Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Wow. We can enter the most holy place because Jesus says, It is finished. He met the requirements of the law in a way that we never could. He fulfilled the requirements of the law. So in him we come holy and blameless in God's sight because he said it's finished. In me you're holy and blameless before God. 
changes everything, changes how we engage with God. You don't need to come into church, head bowed down, full of condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because 2,000 years ago, Jesus declared it's finished. It's finished. Whether you've had a good week or a bad week, whether you think you've been a particularly good Christian or a bad Christian, whatever we mean by that phrase, I don't know. No, no, we are in the Son. And the Son said it is finished. Isn't that amazing news? If you're in the sun, you're free indeed. <laughs> it is finished. The Old Testament requirements of the law, done, dealt with. There's two things that the it is finished meant. How am I doing for time? I need to crack on. Are we all right? Third thing, it is finished. Sin has been dealt with once and for all. Sin has been dealt with once and for all. It says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There is a penalty to pay for sin. There is a wage. There is a wage of sin is death. There is a consequence to our sinful actions. All of us in here today, we all know it. We're sinners saved by the grace of God. All fall short of the glory of God. But as Jesus declared it is finished, he is saying, I am paying for the sin once and for all so that you don't have to. Your forgiveness is our forgiveness. Oh, man, may we never move away from celebrating forgiveness. You know what I mean? I, my life, I'm a scatty. I'm still a scatty, really. You know, me and my heart. If you know some of the stories, but by the grace of God, I'm doing what I'm doing, not because I'm holy, but because I've got a gracious Father who's forgiven me and removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. I had to pay a penalty. You know, a few um, months ago, I know you won't believe this to be true of me, but I got caught speeding. Um, I was doing a 57 in a 50, and I got caught speeding, and um, I um, was given a £100 fine and three points of my licence, and I couldn't argue it. Why couldn't I argue it? Because I'm guilty. And was I drunk? No, I wasn't drunk, but I was guilty. Uh, was I a terrible, reckless driver that night? No, I wasn't, but I was guilty. Sometimes we've seen me think, well, I'm not awful. No, but we are all guilty before a holy God. We all fall short of God's. Now imagine with my license, if someone came up to me and said, look, you are guilty, it's right, but I will pay your fine, and your three points on your license will go on my license, I'll take the record, so that your license can be free and you've got no penalty to pay. You'll think, well, that's amazingly generous on a SP30 or whatever it is, the speed and fine that I got. Imagine that magnified to every sinful thought, every sinful action, every sinful motivation, every act of evil or terror that you've done or that someone has done to you or has been done in the world. One man says, I will take on everything, the penalty of all of that on myself, so that you can be free. It is finished. Once and for all, the sins of the world. He came to take the penalty for our sin and he declares it's done. It's accomplished. I've done it. In this moment, sin and shame dealt with once and for all that we may have a clean license. <laughs> so we can come before God holy and blameless in his sight. Is this good news, church? It's good news. I hope it's good news. Say, it is finished. It is finished. Bit louder. It is finished. It is finished. Great. One more. It is finished. It is finished. Brilliant. Fourth point. Final one, it is finished, means our enemy is defeated. Praise God. The Bible describes our enemy as father of lies, the accuser, the devil, Satan, a lion roaring to devour. He is a defeated foe. 
because Jesus says it is finished. Now it appeared, hadn't it, as if evil had won. Jesus the Messiah hung on a cross. It appeared like evil had won the day. The Son of God surrendered to crucifixion as a criminal. But it says in Colossians 2.15 that having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It looked like evil had won. No, no, no. Jesus willingly gave up his spirit. You've heard that great Easter preach. It was Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. Next Sunday around the world, we'll be celebrating the fact the grave could not hold Jesus. Evil had not won. A victory was done. But the Bible says, actually, Jesus made a public spectacle of the principalities and powers, triumphing over them at the cross. As he declared, it is finished. Evil may have thought it has won. Jesus knew that it had lost. Our enemy was defeated. Which means this, the enemy no longer has any dominion over us. We are in Christ, and Christ is victorious. Yeah, we need to be aware of his schemes, but he's defeated because it is finished. It is accomplished. The enemy's authority over our life is over. He only has as much authority as we allow him to have. He is finished. Now, he's still at work in the world. We see the evidence of evil all around us, but he is defeated. He is defeated. Um, There's a great illustration, maybe you can help with this. Um, In the Second World War, um, some key moments happened. It was 7th of December 1941, um, where Japanese aircraft bombed Pearl Harbor. Now, has anyone seen The Darkest Hour, the movie with Winston Churchill? I haven't seen it yet, but I've, I want to. It's like one of the movies on my list, but I haven't been to cinema for ages. But Churchill was known to have said in this moment that when he heard that Pearl Harbor happened, 7th of December 41, he knew that he would enjoy victory in the Second World War. And so how does that work out? Because he knew the Americans would then enter the Second World War with all their military power and all their resources. At the moment, at that time, pretty much Britain was fighting the battle on their own. He said this, Churchill, at this very moment, I knew the United States was in the war, up to the neck and into the death. So we had won after all. How long the war would last or in what fashion it would end, no man could tell, nor did I at this moment care. We should not be wiped out. Our history would not come to an end. Churchill knew this one event in history, Pearl Harbor, changed changed the ultimate outcome of the war because something significant changed here that would impact here. Now, VE Day was another three and a half years later. In that time, there was battle and there was war and there was bloodshed and there was lives lost. But Churchill knew wholeheartedly that victory would come to the Allied forces because of what happened at Pearl Harbor. He said this, the moment he heard the states would join the war, he said, being saturated with emotion and sensation, I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful. He's in the middle of conflict, yet he could... Sleep the sleep of the saved and the thankful. Why? Because you knew that this moment here is going to end up impacting this moment here forever. He knew victory would come. It's exactly like that with our understanding of the cross. We live in the battle. We live in the battle. But this moment here, when Jesus declared, it is finished, rang the bell on our enemy's schemes. And there is a moment in the future that will come in where we will be utterly destroyed and defeated. 
And that is absolutely certain because of this moment here. We live in the gap of those two events. Jesus at the cross disarmed his principalities and powers. One day Jesus will come back and ultimately defeat him. But we live, what does the Bible say? We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Not because of us, but because Jesus declared, it is finished. It is accomplished. We live in the gap. Say it with me again. It is finished. It is finished. Hey, it's good news, isn't it? Three words that have changed everything. Everything. Jesus had fulfilled what he'd come to do. Jesus had fulfilled the requirements of the old covenant. Jesus had dealt with the issue of sin. Jesus had won the ultimate victory over our enemy. It is all accomplished at the cross. Do you know this to be true in your life? That's why, that's why the Bible says, so we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Don't need to live in defeat or fear. Jesus has done it. Yeah, the battle rages. Life's not easy. Life's not straightforward. Don't think the Bible ever promises that it is. But we are more than conquerors because it's finished. Sin doesn't need to be your master. It's finished. You don't need to strive through legalism to get right with God. It's finished. For some people here today, you need to understand the full consequence of these words. It's like you're still striving to appease God somehow. If I can work a bit harder, if I can try a bit harder, maybe God will love me. No, no. God has demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. He can't love you any more than he loves you. He's so committed to us. Committed to the point that he gave his son for us. You know, we've got to keep cross-centered in our faith. It is finished. Some of you here today, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. I've done the best that I can today to present you with eyewitness accounts of what happened 2,000 years ago. There was a man called Jesus. All history points to that fact. He did die on the cross. The Bible says he died so that we wouldn't have to face the penalty for our sin that we could be reconciled to God, that we can know a future that is not full of fear, but full of faith. And that can be true of you today. You can surrender your life and say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. It says, if anyone calls on the name of Jesus, they'll be saved. It's calling on him. That can be you today. Verse 35, finish with this. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. Who, who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. This is John. I saw it. My testimony is true. I know that I'm telling the truth. I'm testifying so that you may believe. Why did John write his book? So that you may believe this stuff as well. This is the whole goal. I want people all around the world to know this stuff is true. Should we pray? Why don't we stand together if you're able? Let's just stand. It is finished, church. It's finished. Some of you need to live in the good of that today. I just want to give an opportunity. If you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your friend, Lord and Saviour, if you are exploring Christianity, or maybe you are here and you know in your heart 
that you have kind of stepped away from faith in God, but today you want to put your trust in Jesus again. Can I just ask you, very church, let's just have our eyes closed. If you want to put your faith in Jesus today, can you just lift your hand for me? Is there anyone here that says, yeah, I want to trust Jesus with my whole heart? Father. Okay. Lord, I pray for every single one in the room today. I pray, Lord God, that we would live in the good of this truth, that these three words have changed everything for us forever. Jesus, I thank you that you did what we could never do. You died the death that should have been ours so that we lived the life that is yours. He who knew no sin became sin that we may receive the righteousness of God. It is finished. Jesus, thank you for your incredible obedience to fulfill your Father's will. Help us to be obedient, to live in the same way. Jesus, thank you that you fulfilled the Old Testament requirements of the law so we now come with confidence because of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you dealt with sin so we can say we are forgiven. And our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. Thank you that we can live today as more than conquerors because we have a defeated enemy. Yeah, he might bite our ankles, but we know in Christ we can resist. Because it's finished. He's a defeated enemy. We praise you for the cross, Lord. We praise you for the extent of it. We praise you for what it means for us. We praise you that we're free, forgiven, in grace. Praise you for the cost. Receive our adoration, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.